You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Dan Pena. Dan, also known as the $50 billion man, is an American-born entrepreneur, philanthropist and the world's most successful high-performance business success coach. In 1982, you founded Great Western Resources with $820, and during an eight-year period in a bear market, you grew it into a $450 million business. For the past 20-plus years, you've been running your eight-day castle seminar from your home Guthrie Castle here in Bonnie, Scotland, teaching students your Quantum Leap Advantage QLA methodology, and have created to date somewhere in the region of $800 billion in equity value amongst your mentees and devotees. You're the author of several books, most notably your first 100 million. You're the recipient of countless awards and recognitions, and you were appointed by Her Majesty the Queen as member of the Order of St. John. Dan, it's an honour and a privilege to have you here. Welcome Thank to the you. show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Great. Uh, it's funny, you know, reflecting back on when I kind of started this, one of my big, uh, you know, audacious goals, if you like, was to interview Dan Pena and I'm uh, delighted to be making it happen. Well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Super. So, I mean, I'd, I'd like to really start at the, the very beginning. Um, people who know you will probably be familiar with your backstory, but I mean, what was your early life like and, and growing up? I mean, if you can kind of set the scene. Uh, I was born right at the end of World War II, August uh, 1945, uh, right when the um, uh, American forces dropped the atomic bombs on Japan to end the war in the Pacific. Uh, my dad was in the Naval Air Force. Uh, shortly after the uh, war uh, was declared uh, ended, uh, we moved back to Los Angeles, back to East Los Angeles, uh, uh, now deemed a barrio, uh, barrio then, but they didn't deem it a barrio. Mm. Um, and uh, the, I went to school, uh, um, and then the Korean War broke out, and my father uh, was in the reserves, so he got called back into the military, and uh, he was called uh, to Europe. And he was a uh, criminal investigation uh, uh, officer, a CID officer. And so <clears throat> I spent uh, two and a half, three years in uh, France with my father and, uh, and my mom. Um, learned how to speak fluent French. Came back to, uh, when the Korean War was over, came back to East Los Angeles, uh, to the barrio, and uh, uh, commenced to get in a lot of problems, a lot of, ch- a, lot of a lot of fights, uh, a lot of uh, uh, things that uh, I'm not proud of. And uh, ultimately... We moved from uh, the um, barrio uh, to uh, a neighborhood that pr- uh, presumably I would stay out of trouble. Uh, that wasn't the case because it wasn't the uh, environment so much. It was me. And so um, the um, I, I, I went through high school without any recognition. I wasn't a good athlete. I wasn't a good student. And then ultimately I entered university as an afterthought. And uh, I flunked out uh, three times. And um, in the meantime, I'd already been arrested a couple times by that time. And I volunteered for the draft in 1966, 
to go into the military. From uh, that uh, initial uh, uh, volunteering, I then went on to officer training school at Fort Benning, Georgia, became a young officer at the age of 21. Uh, the, uh, in their infinite wisdom, uh, the um, United States Army, uh, even though I had orders to go to Vietnam, uh, at the last minute signed me to go to NATO. And so I spent uh, three plus years at NATO in Europe, uh, as we used to uh, jokingly say, keeping communism from your doorstep. And, uh, the, um, and during that time frame, I came up with an idea to save uh, NATO, United States Army Europe, uh, several million dollars with uh, some procedure. And I knew nothing about computers at the time, but had to do with the beginnings of computers. Uh, this was, uh, you know, 1967. And I, I won an award. I still have that award hanging outside my office. And it was a $50 war bond. Now, you could buy a $50 war bond then for $6.75. And if you kept it 30 years, it was worth 50 bucks. And uh, shortly after the award ceremony, there was a two-star general named Woodrow Vaughn, who became a three-star general, who at the officers' club looks over at me and says, you know, and I was called Danny in those days, Danny, uh, you, you know, you could probably make a living, a good living in the civilian world. And a light bulb went off right about here. Civilian world, lots of money. Uh, and it's never been the same. And uh, I uh, filed my papers. I decided to get out of the military, even though I had initially wanted to be a career officer, stay in the military because I liked the discipline, and uh, came back, had a beg on my knees to get back into school uh, on probation to the same school that I, the last school that I'd flunked out of. And, uh, and then I ultimately completed a four-year degree in two and a half years and graduated with, with honors. Uh, and uh, the, um, I got a scholarship to law school, which I never went I never finished my master's degree. I'm three units short of a master's in finance. Um, and I discovered uh, uh, sales, and I decided to go to Wall Street where the action was. And the rest is more or less history. And then I went to work for one of our corporate finance clients. We made a lot of money, uh, and I ultimately founded Great Western in 1982 with 820 bucks, turned it into 450 million, just as you rightly pointed out. Hmm. And... Um, and uh, got unceremoniously thrown out of my ass by the shareholders in 1992. And I tried to decide, what the hell am I going to do? And uh, a couple of my buddies um, said, well, why don't you teach? So I had a hand at teaching university one year. I found it very unfulfilling. Uh, and um, why don't you coach? And uh, IE QLA started. The first seminar uh, was May 1993. Uh, so it'll be 25 years this coming May. And uh, since then, we've created... Uh, uh, at least $50 billion, and more recently with the $500 billion uh, Neom uh, Mega City, mm -hmm. headed up by my mentee Klaus Kleinfeld, who's the CEO of it. I mean, we're, you know, uh, closing in on uh, a trillion with kids uh, just like you or just like the kids that are listening to this. Mm -hmm. And um, you've had a lot of success. I'm an overnight success. has been out of 25 years. <laughs> and even though we had uh, this movie... Um, a world premiere a couple nights ago in London at the Curzon Mayfair. I mean, I've been at it a long, long time. And uh, just as last night when I was speaking at the University of Edinburgh and you were in the audience, uh, the uh, it was a Friday night and the audience wasn't as big as it could have been, but there was uh, eight or ten kids that were there that were my mentees dating back a lot of years. One from 1996, uh, a couple from the early 2000s, uh, one uh, from uh, just last year, 
uh, and uh, that have all been very, very successful. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, uh, but now I just give the seminars roughly every other month at the castle. We have about 20 people, more or less, sometimes 22, sometimes 18. And, um, and I, I find that very fulfilling. Now, people ask me, why don't I give seminars all over the world anymore, like I used to? Uh, because I can't keep track. Mm-hmm. I can't keep an audience of 500 accountable, <laughs> even with computers. Mm-hmm. And so we have weekly reports. They're very, very strenuous on them. We have monthly Zoom calls, and I can't do that with more than uh, 20 at a time per group. And so, as I said, when you were setting up the cameras, I have roughly 100, 108, 109 businesses I have to analyze weekly. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I know their business better than they do. And so when I leave here and I go back, drive up the road to uh, my home at Guthrie, I will spend the next one and a half to two and a half days studying their weekly reports and then getting back to them and commenting on what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. <laughs> and so that's my method of accountability. It's worked very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the last two or three years, the accountability, the tighter I make the controls, the more success the kids have. Mm-hmm. But the tighter I make the controls, the more pressure they feel. And uh, the, I, I, it's, a, it's 100% constant uh, controlled pressure. The Toyota way, like old man Toyota wrote about uh, him founding the uh, car company, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's worked very, very well. And uh, to the best of our knowledge, um, we're the only high-performance coach that's creating wealth. There's a lot of high-performance coaches that work with athletes, and I have worked with world-class athletes, Olympians, etc. cetera. Uh, but I mean that we're keeping track of money. <laughs> Money's not everything, but it's the only thing anybody keeps track of. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So that's a thumbnail sketch. Yeah, a fantastic introduction, and, and thank you for that. Your, your father, um, who I've seen his Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, he's had quite the, the legacy himself. Yes, he has. Um, in terms of your, I suppose, your work ethic and your drive, I mean, is that something that you think came from your, your parents? And, and what was their kind of style of parenting? Oh, absolutely. Uh, firstly, my mother was an illegal alien. She swam across the Rio Grande River in 1924 with uh, her mother, my grandmother. So I'm first generation Mexican, and uh, I'm the, uh, the ones that uh, President Trump talks about keeping out. But I would build the wall, just so everybody understands that I'd build the wall. That's a, a different subject. So um, my father uh, was a, um, his dad, did, uh, he didn't know when his dad at all because he died just a few weeks before my father was born. And uh, so he uh, served in two wars, Second World War, Korean War. And so he believed with all his heart the military style of leadership and accountability was good. And that's how I was raised. But when he retired as a policeman, which was his first career, 28 years as a Los Angeles policeman, uh, he got a check because in those days when you didn't use all your statutory leave days, all your sick days and all that, they paid you for them. Okay. So when he retired after 28 years, they gave him a check for a lot of money uh, and uh, because he virtually, he had never taken a day off. He had over 700 days statutory leave. And if you divide 700 into 28, Mm -hmm. he never took a day off. And he got paid for it. Now, if he were alive today, he'd be 99 now, but he died in his early 90s. He'd say, I didn't know that. But when when the guys retired, Mm -hmm. they gave you a big check. So I saw him working every day, at least 100 hours a week. So, i.e., that's just the norm for me. Then I went into the military, 
And the military doesn't, well, now it does, but when I was in the military 50 years ago, they don't keep track of their hours. There's no such a thing as overtime. You just work until the job gets done. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I just worked hard, and I always have. And even though I've been telling people the last maybe 10 years, I work uh, 50, 60 hours a week, my wife did a calculation. She's a chartered accountant uh, here in the UK. And I really still work 80, 90 hours a week, and wow. not 50, 60. Um, but uh, 50, 60 sounds more plausible for a guy that's supposed to be retired. <laughs> and so uh, I just work hard. I always have. But I don't call it work. It's hmm. my passion. Uh, you know, uh, although I underestimated tremendously how hard it is to pull the uh, assholes across the goal line, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I didn't understand. Uh, I thought that they equated hard work creates wealth. I didn't think that reading books created wealth. Or I didn't think they thought that. Mm -hmm. uh, as an aside, today, the kids, and I've had kids less than 20 years old come to me that have read 700 books. <laughs> I didn't know there were 700 books on personal development. <laughs> I'm not a personal development guy, first of all. Mm -hmm. But uh, they, you know, so I, I've just always worked long, long hours. And, um, but it's not work to me. You know, when I go home, I'll take a nap on the car when we drive, when we drive back to Guthrie. Uh, I'll have some, uh, something to eat, and I'll probably be up to 1 or 2 o'clock, not working, but uh, reviewing uh, my mentee's business papers. And um, one hour a night, my wife and I spend, we went over, it's normally about midnight-ish, 11, 11.30, 12. We watch an hour of TV. We watch some program. Uh, we like the Big Bang. We like uh, NCIS. Uh, <laughs> and, the, um, and although we have Netflix and all those things, We've never used them. I'm not sure we know how to turn them on. Uh, but we have all of the hocus pocus that you can get now. Mm. And uh, we watch TV. Uh, my wife has a glass of wine. I don't drink when I'm at home. Uh, and then I go to sleep and I get up and I start all over again. So the, uh, the work ethic comes from my dad. Uh, and um, Jim Ryan, arguably the greatest miler that ever lived without winning a, a, an Olympic gold medal. He fell down in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, he told me oh, Christ, 45 years ago, motivation gets you started, Dan. Uh, good habits keep you going. And most of the kids today don't have good habits. Mm -hmm. They have habits that, uh, unfortunately, they've uh, attained through watching their parents, uh, uh, and their parents are uh, uh, not trained to uh, build uh, and, uh, and help uh, young people, uh, their kids, become high-performance people. One, they're not high performance. Uh, two, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, it's easy to have kids. It, it's a bitch to raise them, and uh, most people fail at that. And uh, yeah. most people, and I've got lectures on this. Most people have kids for all the wrong reasons. Most people get married for all the wrong reasons. Most people stay in relationships for all the wrong reasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, when you have a pattern of all the wrong reasons to do almost everything you do in life, then your life turns out to be, you know. Uh, a snowball in hell. I mean, it, does, it, it doesn't work out too well. That sounds like a very practical way of living, though. As you're saying, most people probably don't think out who's the person that I should marry based Correct. on my character type and yeah, based no, on the well, things they, that they, I need. They, they know? absolutely don't. Yeah. They absolutely <laughs> don't. And, and, and uh, I see it's getting worse and worse. Mm. I, I say this um, unashamedly. The Romans had their days, the Greeks had their days, the Athenians had their days, and our days are done. I believe it's irreversible. In my lifetime, you know, I'm 72. There's no turning back the clock. It's never going to happen. 
Now, I don't know if we're going to last 300 years or 3,000 more years, but I believe that the reason why aliens haven't landed here, because they look down and say, what the fuck? These guys aren't <laughs> worth a shit. You know, that's what I believe. And uh, the um, we're just past it. I mean, we want all these things in life, or we say we want all these things in life, but we're not willing to pay the price to action, you know? Um, and it just... I see it getting worse and worse and worse, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, and I, I I don't see it happening. Especially twenty five years as a high performance coach, the um, the results. Although we're still producing results, great results, big numbers, but it's because I continue to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze the kids, and ultimately, you know, um, I'm not going to be able to squeeze them anymore. Um, there's only so much DNA they have in them. And uh, I believe I was in Poland last week lecturing at two universities, and it took me five hours to find anybody that was this a great great grandson of a guy that actually fought the Germans and fought the Russians, and uh, and and now Poland, one of the great warrior nations of Europe, are all snowflakes. You know, I I, I make the example Britain. Mm-hmm. Okay, just just for a, a moment, let's say that Scotland's part of it. Okay, so Britain used to rule two thirds of the fucking planet <laughs> from a little island with a thing called gunboat diplomacy. Now look at him, look at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sad, and uh, but uh, that's not my worry. My worry is I want to be known when they put dirt on me eventually as the greatest high performance coach that ever lived. I'm already that uh, in terms of numbers, mm-hmm. but I don't even want them to think of. Napoleon Hill or anybody else uh, when uh, when they're scratching their their heads. Um, I don't want them to have to scratch their head. Uh, as Dan Pena, you know, uh, I used to be called the Castleman, you know, Castleman, and uh, the fifty, you know, fifty billion dollar man. But my goal is now to be the trillion dollar man that's created a trillion dollars with kids, just like the kids that are going to watch this uh, hmm. video. And uh, the uh, of course we've had a big um, input. With five hundred billion, mm-hmm. one guy. I yeah. mean, uh, <laughs> but uh, the um, I'm, I'm positive uh, we'll make it now, and it gives me incentive to keep doing it. It mm-hmm. also keeps me relatively sharp. But the kids aren't that bright. They're just not. They're just not. We were in uh, yesterday, arguably one of the finer institutions of higher learning, right in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, and. Um, but the kids aren't that smart. They just aren't. In what sense? They're, um, because information is instantaneous for them mm-hmm. via the internet, they believe everything they read. And even though President Trump, who I, I, I knew President Trump in a different life, but the, um, calls it fake news. If it's, if it's on TMZ, it's fucking truth, they think. <laughs> and that's not the way it is. I asked a question when I was at um, uh, University College London uh, speaking a few days ago. And I said, okay, I've tailored the stuff to England now, my talk, because I spoke at two schools. I said, uh, Duke of Wellington, you know, looking back in history, was a big, big deal. Okay. He was a big deal because he uh, beat um, Napoleon at Waterloo. What was Wellington's horse's name? Famous, shot 11 times, the horse itself, without going down, Copenhagen. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
uh, I asked a similar question when I was in Poland. Why is nine, uh, 866 an important year in Poland? Now, these are smart, smart rocket scientists. Duh. <laughs> and then I said, uh, it has a religious connotation. Duh. Duh. Then finally, one of the professors jumped up and said, baptism of the country when they, the country was initiated in 866. And, uh, but we have kids in America that don't know who George Washington was. <laughs> Why should they? Huh? Why should he they? He founded the United States. Okay? Okay? We have kids that don't know who Ringo Starr was. Then that's a why should we. Okay, why should they? Mm -hmm. I mean, in this mm -hmm. country, they don't know who yeah, Ringo Starr yeah, was. Yeah. You know? Uh -huh. They don't know. Um, they, uh, they're not sure who's on the throne here. Mm. They're not sure. They don't know. You know? And uh, I haven't had the pleasure of marrying the queen a couple of times. But the... Uh, But if it doesn't come on their handheld device, mm -hmm. it, it, it's not important. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And there's more to life than that. Mm -hmm. There's more to life to that. And um, so I, I, I firmly believe that uh, the things that the kids are complaining about now, they complained in Socrates' time. Nothing's really changed mm -hmm. um, other than now the information, instead of you know, scroll or in stone. Now it's on a handheld device. Yeah. But uh, notwithstanding that, I'm going to keep pushing and uh, dragging the kids. Uh, and, um, but it keeps them sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, but it's really not as hard as you would think staying ahead of 100 kids. And I, their kids, whether I can old enough to be their father or grandfather. But I mean, it's just not, now, I am super smart. There's no question about that, you know. And uh, I don't think we've had an IQ higher than mine in any of the universities I've talked at, including Oxford. But, I mean, a uh, hundred of them, when I know their businesses better than they do, a hundred different businesses mm -hmm. on a weekly basis, something's wrong. Hmm. They shouldn't be in business. I mean, that, something's not right. How can one old git as smart as I am, keep track and be more passionate about the hundred businesses when they should be passionate about it, and they're not. 99% mm -hmm. of the people that are in business shouldn't be. They're pretending. They're pretending. And I bring that out clearly and distinctly. Mm -hmm. And some of them go back to the, the regular normal world, uh, as they should. Mm -hmm. There's no shame in, you know, doing that there's no shame there's no money but there's no shame either mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> one of your quotes um which I, i have to say i really like and you you have forthright views but i can't help but agree with a lot of what you say um this one is political correctness is a manifestation of lack of self-esteem amen so how can people build self-esteem self-esteem is built the first seven or eight years of life hmm. and that's why the spartans took the kids away from their parents at seven or eight years, because they knew that, that, and they only took the good ones away. The bad ones away, the bad ones they threw in a, a pit, okay, they killed, okay? okay. Um, and uh, who are you around the first seven or eight years of life? Mom, mm -hmm. maybe dad, okay? Maybe a, a brother or sister, maybe a grandparent, right? Mm -hmm. How are any of those people um, um, trained to teach you to be 
a high self-esteem individual. They're not. They teach you love. If love got the job done, we wouldn't have all these problems. Hmm. Love doesn't get the job done. Mm-hmm. Some of my mentees were at the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday a couple of years ago. I wasn't invited, but some of my mentees were. Uh, I rather doubt anybody listening to this was invited to the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday either. But he goes to his clothes, and his clothes is about raising money, okay? Because the Dalai Lama doesn't exist for nothing, okay? <laughs> he says meditation is great. Spiritual awareness is great. Prayer is great. But action, action, taking action is the most important thing of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, St. Teresa has a similar speech, okay? Again, raising money, but it's action, action, action. Um, all the rest is bullshit. And the, uh, uh, we, have, we have deluded ourselves into thinking, reading uh, blogs and stuff on uh, the Internet, listening to podcasts, etc. It's taking action, but it's not. All it is is procrastination. It's allowing you to put something between you and taking action. And um, the kids that, um, and how do you get the kid to take action? And we're, I'll get back to the self-esteem because it's all, it's all one, a part of one uh, uh, bowl of yarn. Mm-hmm. Is that when you make them accountable that they have to take action, then they do it. I, I made an analogy last night. If I put a gun in, in the young man's, uh, uh, to his three-year-old son's head, and I said, you've got five days to get this done. Of course he's going to get it done. Mm-hmm. But nobody's putting the gun to everybody's head now because <laughs> they, they don't equate it to free will. They want you to have the, uh, the choice to be an, a lazy asshole. They want you to be, have the choice to not accomplish anything. That's your choice. And when everybody thinks that way, guess what? Nothing happens. You know, when the United States decided to put a man on the moon in the early 60s, uh, before this decade was over, uh, President Kennedy made that infamous talk uh, at his inauguration. We had no NASA. We had no uh, uh, rocket to get a monkey off the ground. We had none of those things. But millions of permutations happened because, you know, uh, and when a big country, uh, like when this country, uh, Great Britain, mobilized for the war back in the late 30s, great things can happen. But self-esteem is built by being around, being exposed to people with self-esteem that have accomplished stuff. When the um, Oppenheimer put together the Manhattan Project to make the um, atomic bomb, the first weapon of mass destruction, he had 150, 200 of the brightest, most gifted people on the planet. And success breeds success. Mm -hmm. And so, but most of the people that, you know, Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Most of the people that you, you, you are exposed to on a daily basis are dipshits. You know, and, and I say very cruelly, most of the people that exist today shouldn't have been born. They just shouldn't have. They should have rolled down the inside of their mama's leg. They shouldn't have been born. That's hard shit. But I mean, if we want to exist, you know, that's why Elon Musk wants to go to Mars. Because we're fucked here. <laughs> we're just fucked. I mean, the... Uh, the um, we're past it. But it doesn't mean you can't have a lot of money and have a lot of, uh, uh, create a lot of uh, uh, greatness. And, you know, as I said last night, you want to change the world, think of something that changes a billion lives. Mm-hmm. A billion, okay? By definition, you will have made the, the world a better place and then you can take the money from that 
uh, instrument, whatever it is, and you can, you can, you know, if you believe in global warming, if you believe in all that, that stuff, which I don't, but I mean, you can go change the world. Um, the, um, it's like when I, I told him last night, you know how many apps there are in the world? About 25 million. Mm-hmm. You know how many apps have made any kind of reasonable amount of money? 25 <laughs> out of 25 million. Mm-hmm. And if you really think that your app, I mean, what are you smoking? I mean, Jesus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you about Brian Rose. Sure. Um, Brian's a founder of London Real. Brian is, you know, principally the, the person responsible for inspiring me to do what I'm doing here. Um, Good, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, but... The Brian that did the first interview with you is very different to the Brian today. Correct. Um, he calls it the Penuasca, you know, when he attended the Castle Seminar. The change in him is, is radical. So from your, from your perspective, I mean, how has Brian changed and what are the things that he's now doing differently? Oh, well, he's not doing anything like he used to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said last night, for me to fill your teacup with QLA, you've got to empty it first. He emptied his, hmm. not a hundred percent, but a good uh, majority of it. Uh, for example, you only have one, for one time to make a first impression. That first impression starts with first what you visually see. He doesn't even look anything like he used to look. Okay. Mm-hmm. It next is what comes out of your lips, the first words out of your lips. Okay, uh, and uh, that's changed. More dramatic is his look. Mm-hmm. Than is because he's been fairly articulate, but he doesn't talk about a lot of this shit that he used to talk about. Okay, uh, so that's dramatically changed. Uh, the third thing is that um, these free uh, podcasts bringing great people together are like you know fleas on shit. I mean, there's a million of them. Okay, uh, how are you going to monetize it? Mm-hmm. And then you can go out and even do greater things because he started with. He had a, a few few bob from his days on, in the city as as a banker and on Wall Street. Great, but those those those, those millions will dissipate quickly when you have no money coming in, mm-hmm. and you've got fifteen, twenty, thirty people on your staff. So he, he's he's gone through two or three iterations of the monetization model, uh, and um, the um, some of them have worked better than others. I'm not privy to the numbers, uh, but. Um, the um, very few people can go from a free non-pay to pay model with the same group. And essentially it's the same people. We've had, he's had fallout and he's, he's gained numbers uh, and he's gained uh, numbers both on his YouTube following, etc. Just as all the guys that are trying to monetize a similar model. But they're not the numbers like uh, Joe Rogan has, mm-hmm. through almost four million, which I, I had the privilege of being on his show, yeah. or Gary V, uh, uh, who I, I don't know, but I know he's got uh, somewhere close to two million, mm-hmm. or uh, Ferris, and there's five or six guys that have one, two, three, four million. Mm-hmm. Then you only need a small percentage of the people to buy your shtick to create revenue. Uh, and, um, so he, he's changed those three basic things and, um, the, um, 
And of course, he just uh, published the world premiere of my documentary three or four days ago, which I'm I, I, I was uh, I'm appreciative of, and uh, how he uses that to monetize or monetizes that I don't know. I had nothing to do with ma- making it, um, and uh, but I hope it does. Mo- he can monetize it, mm-hmm. but he is now going more mainstream than he was uh, out in the uh, in the. the and uh, the hinterlands, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's he's interviewed some great people, some really smart people. Yeah. And uh, he's got a reputation now because he's got you know uh, I don't know two hundred and forty million views or some big number. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, just my stuff has gotten you know uh, eighteen or twenty million views uh, worldwide, not just with him but with Rogan and everybody. So when you're at this, you know, uh, you really need hundreds of millions of views. Mm-hmm. Okay, so someday, if he ever wants to sell the model, whoever they sell it to is going to look and see, first, gross numbers, second, what are the demographics of the numbers, and does our market, or does our, is that our niche? Uh, is he 18 to 25, or 25 to 50, uh, or whatever? And uh, what can we use those numbers? How can we sell them? Or mm-hmm. what can we sell them? Um, or do we invent a whole new product to sell them, which is what the really smart marketers do? Uh, so he's he's coming back towards uh, mainstream, but his whole life has been really mainstream. He went to good schools, mm-hmm. MIT. He had a traditional education. Went into banking. Smart guy. Um, uh, he's certainly smarter than most of the guys doing um, uh, podcasts. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, they, but there's a lot of smart guys out there. You have to find the wave that's your wave that you feel natural with. He feels good with what he does, so I hope he makes money at it before he runs out of money. But he's making money now. He's you know he's certainly not coming out of pocket now like he was. But you're right; he doesn't look the same, doesn't sound the same. The um, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't run for mayor of London because <laughs> he's a citizen. Yeah, <laughs> God. He's, he's probably more liked than the current mayor. So uh, the Muslim guy, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, in terms of being a, a mentor and a, you know, and a coach, and um, you, you said actually you didn't like teaching, but there's mm-hmm. probably an element in what you do uh, is, is kind of teaching. Sure it is. What do you think makes you so effective? I make them accountable. I make people accountable for the first time in their lives. Now, there's two theories, and I neither confirm nor deny. Uh, that this theory I'm about to tell you is accurate. I am the alpha male father that most of the weenies out there never had. And there, you know, there's not that many Neanderthal guys like me running around anymore. They just aren't. Um, Gary V, who I don't really know, is supposed to be and he's only in his mid forties. He's really not like me at all. He's not in your level. Though. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> but he, he wants to be like because he's selling somebody. He's selling shoes, t-shirts, bottles of wine. I'm selling nothing, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm never going to sell anything. And uh, when I decided, uh, you know, almost ten years ago now, to go from the highest paid product on the net, five thousand pounds for a disc that used to cost me ten ten pence to nothing, we had people 
come to me that you know their names and your audience would know their names, you're fucking killing us. You know, I mean, now you give the shit away uh, and uh, you live in a castle uh, and you obviously made a lot of money and you've got all these guys that have made a lot of money and gals. Uh, why are you doing this? And I said, because I want to take the last excuse away from the audiences um, for not doing it. The kids last night at the University of Edinburgh may never decide to do any of this stuff. But they can't intellectually, without lying to themselves, they can't say nobody ever showed us. When I showed the simple three steps that I took from a Scott, you know, it should even resonate more. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie and the, um, God love him, the, um, and it's so simple. I mean, it's criminal. It's so simple. How else would a 12-year-old kid from Dunfermin up the road here uh, create an industry, the steel, steel industry, amongst others? Mm-hmm. How? He didn't have any education. He had four secrets of success, though. Number one, financial motive must prevail. That was also number two, three, and four. Financial, sound Scottish? Financial motive must prevail. When I was on the way to the school last night in the taxi, I asked, uh, when he was pulled up in front of the School of Business there, um, I said, is this where they teach the young Scots how to be canny and mean, mean meaning cheap? And as, I, as, as we were paying the taxi driver, he said, no, sir, that's in our DNA. <laughs> that's in our DNA. Um, and you saw the list of all those people that have created unbelievable things in the pla- on the planet, mm-hmm. all from Scotland. Mm-hmm. I-, I stopped it at 100. The <laughs> list is 500. All these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, five, for a little teeny country, which had 5 million people uh, now, and, and when I first moved here, 5 million, to have created all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They've created more than the U.S. They've created, more, I mean, not mm-hmm. more than the world, but mm-hmm. I mean... One little wee country yeah. with all those canny little mean bastards. I mean, because, I mean, they, it's in their DNA, but it's not in their DNA now. Mm. And there used to be a statistic. I don't know how accurate it is anymore, but in the 90s, it was accurate. The war dead, going back to the Crimea War, to uh, uh, present day, uh, the war dead for Britain, 37% of the war dead of Britain are Scots. Let's call it a third. Mm-hmm. A toid are Scots, and the population vis-a-vis the Scots and, and the English mm-hmm. is 11%. <laughs> so three times more Scots die because mm-hmm. they like to fight. <laughs> they like to fight. Yeah, and uh, the uh, not the Braveheart kind, you know, uh, like in that movie. But um, you have to go really look hard and long to find guys uh, and gals that really have grit and willing to put their balls on the line now. Mm-hmm. And there are not many. Mm-hmm. And as far as answering the first question, you know, I'm either the alpha male dad they never had, and the reason why I've been so successful. So I get... If, you, if I was your dad, you might listen to me more. So that's the theory. So they actually listen. 
and they want to please me. Mm-hmm. Okay? The other uh, end of the continuum, which I believe I, I'm more at this end of the continuum than the alpha male dad, because I don't need any more kids. Trust me. I don't need any more. <laughs> uh, but the other end of the continuum is the simplicity of the model. Uh, and I'm not trying to take credit for the model. Now, in Scotland, it resonates more, or it should, I hope. Mm-hmm. But I mean, um, but uh, when I tell people in University of Toronto, a top 25 world school, uh, and they and they said, Carnegie, yeah. They kind of heard about him. Didn't he start the steel industry? And didn't he, wasn't he one of the first robber barons? And yeah, yeah, yeah that's him, that's him. And uh, you're just copying him. Because modeling, you know, Socrates, Plato, you know, mm-hmm. back in those days, mm-hmm. it's modeling. And I'm just modeling the old little shit. And um, I'm glad to give him credit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, whereas the other guys, with the greatest respect, most of the gurus don't give anybody else credit about anything. It's their new gig. Mm-hmm. Because then they have nothing to sell you mm-hmm. in their new book. So I believe it's the simplicity of the model. Other people believe it's because I'm the alpha male uh, role model uh, that the, the kids never had. Now, maybe I'm sure someplace in between it's the truth. Mm-hmm. But this, the model is dead fucking simple. In fact, I started to tell the story. Um, I, I, I didn't remember to tell the story at every school that I spoke at in the last 10 days. But when I started doing this in 93, I thought, uh, I, I probably have, at the very outset, I got three or four years. And then... It's like you invent, you start something on the internet, somebody copies it within hours or days, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then after three or four years, I'm still doing it. And then I said, well, 2000, the year 2000 will be, uh, I'll hang it up. 2000 came and went. Fuck, there's still nobody. <laughs> so my wife, Sally, said, because she thought, well, 2000, we'll travel the world and we'll do all this. And she says, you know, I don't think... Um, because I know guys that know how to do this. I can, if I use my cell phone, which I don't, I could call 10 right now in an hour. And here's the phone. They know how to do what I do. <laughs> but they're not teaching. They're not teaching. They don't give a shit. Because they figure the more I tell you, the more competition I'm going to have. <laughs> and I look at it just the opposite. And maybe I am a teacher. I want them to learn. I want them to compete with me. <laughs> I want them to compete with me. And mm-hmm. some of the kids do. Not successfully against me. But, but I'm, I'm maybe in the, I'm in the cloud. I'm in the cloud with my uh, experience. I've been involved. I stopped counting at 1,000 transactions. I stopped counting. I stopped counting at 100,000 business decisions. Stop counting. <laughs> I stopped counting on 5,000 nights in hotels. Stop counting. And there's two or three other benchmarks. Uh, the, uh, but I mean, normally when I'm in a room of accountants, lawyers, professionals, and there's eight, nine, 10, 11 of us, I, I've got more experience in the whole table <laughs> normally, not always, but normally, normally. And the, uh, but uh, you have to have learned something in a thousand deals. I mean, the fucking monkey, you know, and I'm a smart monkey. So, <laughs> but, um, the, the kids today, uh, at the beginning of last night, I said, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Just because you've never been around somebody like me, believe me, doesn't mean they don't exist. Hmm. And, and when, I, when 
I said about Elon Musk, who I've got a lot of respect for. He's got a lot of balls and uh, a smart kid. Uh, and what's his favorite word? And somebody else said, fuck, <laughs> it is. All these guys talk just like I do. But right now they're trying to build their legacy for the future, what history is going to think of them. So they're, they're, they're trying to clean up their act. Uh, and uh, the, um, they want to be remembered for something. And they have something to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no good reason why Tesla stock is where it is. Makes no money. Cars are always late. I mean, I can go on and on. <laughs> but I mean, uh, he's a smart guy, Elon. Mm-hmm. But he, he wants to die on his way to Mars or on Mars because he knows it's over here. It's fucking over. It's irreversible. We're stuffed. But I mean, it's, you know, we've, we've had our day. That's it. When people can put podcast and this kind of stuff together and make money from, from smoke, mirrors, and now the cloud, something's not right. You know, I made most of my money in bricks and mortar, which I'm happy and proud of. Mm-hmm. But I've also made, you know, I've created a couple hundred million on the net. Now, I don't think a couple hundred million is worth shit, but it's, a, it's 199 million more than most people have created on the net. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, even though I don't, I don't even count it in my my assets and what I've done to be proud of. Uh, one of the smartest things that ever happened, and I, I'm I'm not going to take credit, is the title of my book, "Your First Hundred Million. Richard Goldsmith, who's still around, uh, came up with that when he published it or republished it, if that's the right word. Which, in hindsight, was genius. Like, I mean. He's a smart little fucker. He is. He's still around. Richard, if you see this, God bless you. But I mean, he came up with that title. And, and then I thought, well, aren't we going to put dollars or aren't we going to put rubles or yen? No, no, Dan, that's not the point. The point is, that's a number that resonates with everybody, except for in Zimbabwe or something, where they have a billion dollar, you know. And, um, but I give credit to everybody. I give Brian Rose credit for me being on social media. Mm-hmm. Because I, I thought it was a waste of time, waste of space. Um, I was wrong. I, I was dead. I was dead wrong. Uh, but now the um, and there's two or three other guys that you know. Someday I'll, I'll, I'll probably be on, on their show. And that's why you know you were here local. You know, rather be lucky than smart. You know, I just was <laughs> at Edinburgh last night. Uh, and that's why I keep you know kissing frogs. I keep swinging at the plate. And um, the uh, and I'm happy. To help people. That's why I'm also happy. People that um, link with me on LinkedIn, I'm not there for business. Mm-hmm. I'm there if, if uh, you being linked to me on LinkedIn helps you with your business uh, getting started. Great. That's terrific. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. Uh, but don't expect me to answer you or, you know, uh, or be interested in your deal. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But those are the two reasons. Alpha male, the model so bloody. <laughs> I mean, it's God. It's just simple. It's simple, and uh, and there is no compression uh, algorithm for experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> and um, you you know uh, you can code a lot of shit, but experience isn't one of them. And that's one of the things that 
some of the guys believe will be the saving grace vis-a-vis artificial intelligence. That some of the things they're not going to be able to teach through a compression of algorithm compression. Hmm. Uh, and that's why the, the robots are going to keep us around. <laughs> or some of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dan, if, if you woke up tomorrow... Um, and you you had no money whatsoever. You'd lost absolutely... A sobering thought. <laughs> it's a sobering thought. <laughs> you were at absolute ground zero. Uh, you had nothing. What's the first thing you would do? Uh, I assume I'm dressed. I got clothes. I'm not running around naked. <laughs> right? okay. okay, okay, okay. You've got your clothes. Okay, I've got my clothes. Um, the first thing I do is go to... Um, um, I'd want to see a... Uh, uh, a feed of what was uh, uh, the news, like a Bloomberg, to see what was hot, okay? And I'd see right now cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is sizzling, I mean. But it's also very expensive because now they've bid up the prices. But I'd, go, I'd see um, what, what was available in cybersecurity. Being let or uh, bids to the government, the government overpays for everything. This government, okay, I was part of the bidding process for the dome here when the Scottish, was it the Parliament or wherever that copper thing uh, in here, just a few miles from here. The Scottish Parliament. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that thing was supposed to cost a billion one, and I stopped counting when it was at seven billion. So, I mean, I'd go and see what the government in their government contracts. I'd find somebody to fulfill a government contract. And that's how I'd start. Wow. Because you, I don't have to own anything. Mm-hmm. I can find you, <laughs> subcontract, and I'll take just 2%. And that's how the first year I was in business, I did $50 million in revenue with three government contracts for 20, 20, and 10 million to the United States government. I didn't own the refinery. I didn't own the pipeline. I didn't own the oil. But I put them together and they sold them to the government. And that's how I got started. And I'm sure that it would work again. And I tell the kids, right, then the governments only uh, bid or accept the bids twice a year. Now they bid, not today, Saturday or Sunday. Monday, there will be 500 government contracts put out to bid. 500. From toilet paper to, you know, uh, uh, handwriting paper to uh, tractors to toilet seats, you name it. That's how I started again. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> um, this one's an interesting question, but what would you say has been kind of your biggest failure to date? But what did you learn from it? Oh, I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got so many. <laughs> well, let's, let's, in 81, I came to the UK the first time with a roll up. 13 different companies roll up. We're in, uh, based in Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, it was uh, the, the, the uh, uh, Prince Charles had just married uh, Diane, September of 81, and the deal collapsed. Uh, a whole bunch of different reasons, uh, but it collapsed. And um, the, uh, I'd actually come over with the other 12 guys that had businesses. I convinced all of them that we could go public, we being but I didn't really own anything, okay? And uh, I was going to be the CEO. One of the other guys, uh, a Native American, American Indian, was going to be the chairman. His name was Tommy Littlepage. God rest his soul, he's dead now. 
And uh, we came over here and we did all the investment banking uh, uh, meetings, um, did the rounds with the institutions. They liked it. Uh, and then a big um, um, uh, bond offering uh, uh, collapsed, failed, and it was an energy deal. And they said that the market is afraid now. And so it collapsed. But I learned not to have anything other than delayed fees. In other words, when you bring all these, these investment professionals together, you're going to get paid out of the financing when it's successful, mm -hmm. not if it fails. Okay. So I learned it was a 500,000 pound experience for me. And I didn't have 500,000 pounds at the time. So I, over the next two or three years, I wound up paying off all those uh, professionals. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so then I came back. I tried a couple other deals that failed. And then I came back in 84 uh, with the infamous uh, Great Western on the day that Mrs. Thatcher privatized Jaguar. And, uh, the, uh, and, and the rest is, is history, as they say. Mm. Um, but I also learned that in that same failed attempt that um, who represents you is exceedingly more important than how much you pay people to represent you, paying you less. And I came up with a concept to hire, retain, engage the people you cannot afford, cannot, which is, I still haven't been able to convince many Scots that, but anyway, <laughs> cannot afford. And that's why when I, I had Freshfields and I said last night, um, the managing partner of Freshfields, a guy named Timothy Rotalic, back in the day would say, we represent the Queen of England, the Bank of England, the Church of England, and Dan Penna. Okay. And when they used to hear that, and when he wasn't there to say it, I'd remind everybody, my people that represent me represent the queen, the bank, the church, and me. And um, that still works. And QLA is in the dream team, and the anchor chairman is, is, is it's still the basis of the group. Uh, and, um, the, um, and so, but I, you know, I've, I've failed a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But nobody's interested in those things. Nobody wants to hear about them. You know, I could write volumes uh, about those. The one that, that um, they want to hear about is that $800 and $450 million. <laughs> But, I mean, I've got three or 400 stories from guys like you that made $50 million or $500 million. I, I told uh, th when I was at University of Toronto a few weeks ago speaking, one of my Canadian guys um, in, in one two-week period did a $6 million, $50 million, and $500 million deal all together. They were all separate, but they all came together at once. Uh, and um, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's not the best I've got in my stable, but pretty damn good. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But right now, my teenage phenom, Josh Kim, who just, he's, it's like every time he gets on the crease, He's knocking it for six. Every fucking time he swings the bat, it's going out of the universe. And now he's surprised when it, he doesn't hit it for six. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you think that you're going to hit it for six every bloody time, guess what? You hit it for six every bloody time. And the kids that are watching this and the kids at the universities that I've had the pleasure of speaking before, and I mean, don't believe it because they didn't see that kind of success habit in their parents and didn't see it in their grandparents. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, motivation gets you going and habits keep you going. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the good news is, as Sally would say, it keeps me mentally acute, keeping track of 100 portfolio, 100 mm-hmm. companies in my portfolio. It does. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> uh, the, but having to make decisions for 100 companies on a daily basis, hourly basis, Minute basis really keeps you sharp. And when I went to my 50-year reunion a few years ago, high school, and uh, I mean, you know, with the greatest respect to all, all, all these guys, I'm so much more mentally um, agile. I mean, it's, there's no fucking comparison. <laughs> None. And they know it, mm-hmm. you know, and they know it. And I, when I went to a two-day funeral, I'd never been to a two-day funeral, I could speak a whole week on that. But anyway, I went to this two-day funeral and um, a kid comes up to me we're, uh, through the ashes and, uh, you know, she wanted to be buried at sea. He comes up to me, he says, uh, excuse me, uh, are you the $50 billion man? I look at him and I go, why do you ask? He says, well, we're part of the cult that follows Josh Kim. You're part of the what? <laughs> he has a cult following. My little Josh, yeah. Every, I mean... He's got a cult following. There may be a million people. No fucking way. <laughs> he says, yeah. He says, you know, and you trained him, right? I go, that's correct. <laughs> so, and then you get those kind. I mean, it's really, uh, it's, it can be quite exhilarating. And, uh, and then I, th- I think I mentioned last night, I met his parents a few weeks ago, Sally and I, and um, I knew they had to be close to perfect. Because you don't produce a, uh, a progeny like that by accident. Hmm. It doesn't come out by accident. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> they were they were ninety nine, forty four, one hundred percent perfect. The, t- the two of them. And uh, but he's on his way. I mean, there's no stopping him. There's no stopping, and he's not. And I'm not taking away from the internet kids, but he's not. You know, and even though he's very literate, he's he's, he's making the money the old fashioned way, bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not easy. That's not easy. But he's going to have something to be able to sell at the end of three, four, five, ten years. Where the internet guys um, mm-hmm. that are just have monetization models, yeah. you know, um, are hard pressed to sell it because the people are going to just walk away. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, you got no traffic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sobering thought again. <laughs> Uh, I've got a few questions okay. for you that, that kind of go a bit uh, deeper, which are the ones that I particularly oh, is this, is it, enjoy. Is this heavy stuff? For, <laughs> is, is this heavy for a Scott or heavy for what? <laughs> well, we'll see what you think. Um, the first one is kind of around about purpose in life. I mean, you've obviously achieved just more more in your lifetime than, you know, 20 people put together probably okay um what do you feel has been kind of the the overarching purpose or kind of your why well well my why uh uh in the last 25 years uh no actually in the last 50 years uh my life has been 75 percent plan 25 percent serendipity the 25 percent but the difference is when the serendipity happens in anybody's life, they sit in the spreadsheet it to death. 
<laughs> Why is this happening? What, I mean, is this by accident? It doesn't make a shit, okay? I have jumped on those serendipity uh, opportunities like stink on shit. Boom. And I just discarded my plan or that portion of my plan, okay? Whereas some of my contemporaries that have had equally as good serendipity opportunities and even better analyzed them and they either became less of an opportunity or they disappeared totally. Hmm. Because I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. I trust my instincts, okay? Hmm. So, uh, the, so the overarching, you know, I went from a young kid who wanted to be a priest, a little kid, before I started getting in trouble. Uh, I used to teach Bible study, catechism, okay? People, you know, uh, people, that's hard for people to believe, but I did, <laughs> you know? And the, um, um, and my, but the overall, or the, the bridge that I never was able to cross uh, because my, my dad was a world-class athlete, alpha male, real he-man, and I had no, little or no athletic ability. Uh, I didn't know how smart he was intellectually. Uh, I didn't know how smart I was intellectually either because I wasn't being tested because I was always getting thrown uh, out of school or I was in jail or whatever. Um, so, um, but when I went into the military, uh, and the, it's true, military does make uh, men out of boys. When I went in the military, that was part of it. But when I, and I volunteered, they didn't have to draft me or anything. But then on uh, June 1, 1967, I was made an officer and a gentleman. I said, it's Congress. I changed my life because you have uh, additional responsibilities. You know, it's not just to help old ladies across the street like a Boy Scout, which I was mm -hmm. one of those two. <laughs> but I realized that, uh, and that general said, you know, Dan, uh, you can probably make money, big money in the, in the regular world. And a light bulb went off in my head. And because uh, I really didn't think about that. I didn't know how much a million dollars was uh, in, uh, until I was 21. Nobody talked. I never heard the word million. Never heard the word <laughs> million until I was uh, an officer. Wow. At, at an officer's club having a drink with somebody. And one of the guy's parents had just died and left him a, a million and a half dollars or something. And I go, well, how much? A million? How many zeros is that? <laughs> you know? I, I didn't know because nobody talked about that. And um, the, and I, so that my dad's influence uh, as uh, in leadership uh, is um, I've been able to adapt quite easily, I, I believe, because my leadership skills are extraordinary. And the, uh, and so I, which they were honed in the beginning from my father and then in the military. And then subsequently, I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten professionals and governments and to, to agree to some crazy shit. Uh, and that's why when I've been uh, uh, partners with the Israeli government, the Kuwaiti government, the British government, the Canadian government, uh, the German government, the Mexican government, the United States government, I'm leaving off a couple. I mean, um, and the governments need me like they need AIDS. But I, you know, uh, and that's why, you know, um, the uh, I realized that I, that I was good at that. So then I was extending that by doing, uh, oh, in the Vatican was another government. Hmm. Um, the um, so I wasn't I wasn't apprehensive to 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 go to the uh, you know people like the Onassis group. I wasn't apprehensive mm -hmm. 
to uh, to go to people um, that had you know world renowned reputations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, when I saw that I was good at that, and that coupled with the fact that I became a world class public speaker, I I. I I started as a poor speaker. I got an F in high school public speaking, and I got an F the first time in university public speaking, and a D the second time. Okay, <laughs> and um, then, but I, I realized that life's a numbers game, and uh, I made you know 100, 150 piss poor speeches, and mm-hmm. then I got good at it, you know. And uh, but I've showed up and I've emptied out ballrooms of a thousand people. They just got up and left. I've had people throw plates at me, rolls. Nobody ever threw any knives at me, but the, uh, although at the world premiere of my movie, I thought the lady was going to jump on the stage and stab me because it was a lady that I had shouted down about her global warming. And, she, and then uh, during the break, she starts running up to the stage and she couldn't see. But the front of the stage is like this. And then I'm here. So she thought it was steps. So she fell on her face, unfortunately. I hope she didn't get hurt. But I thought, well, you know, like the royals, when they rush the royals when they're on stage. Yeah. And I said, what am I going to do? I'm probably going to kick her in the head when she comes up. <laughs> but she fell before she got to the top of the stage. Uh, so it's mm. been planned. But I've been uh, it's, uh, very readily for me to switch. And I, and I don't have pride of authorship. If it's your idea, mm-hmm. by God, it's your idea. You know, Brian, I'm tired of giving you fucking credit, but you won the, you are the one that got me on social media. And uh, the, uh, so, but I've said it a thousand fucking times now. Uh, and when I got on Joe Rogan's show, he didn't get me on Joe Rogan. I got myself on Joe Rogan. But, but I thanked him again in front of four million people. And so I'm very, and I've gone back, the people that helped me 45 years ago, and I've helped them. I've looked them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started doing that when I turned 60, 12 years ago going back and helping people that helped me in the beginning of my career. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm not selfish that way. I am selfish vis-a-vis in my training because I want you to be the best you can be because it'll reflect back on me, a manifestation of how good the program is. Mm-hmm. And I give full credit to uh, Carnegie. Little shit, you know? <laughs> I, I do. Uh, and so that has been my path. And mm-hmm. more recently, uh, in the last 10 or 12 years, it has been, uh, and it's not because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, uh, paint my legacy, but just in case there is a big man, okay? I want to make sure he knows all these orphanages I support, all these hospitals I support. You know, I was back in uh, uh, St. Teresa when she was just a goddamn Mother Teresa, you know? Um, and, uh, and frankly, I mean, Bill and Melinda Gates do a lot of great stuff. But he wasn't always such a philanthropic guy, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but when I was in uh, Poland, they said I was Dr. Philanthrop. Somehow, the translation in my bio, they thought that was my last name, so they called me Dr. Philanthrop, <laughs> which is Polish for philanthrop- uh, philanthropic. Mm-hmm. So that has been keeping me going, and two-thirds of my time now is free, pro bono, uh, and one-third isn't. Um, but going around to these schools, I mean, it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to five schools in the last uh, 10, 11 days. Uh, did a world premiere. This is the second podcast that I've done. I did a podcast for one of my multimillionaire mentees, Shakir Hussein, uh, who's a Muslim kid 
who came to me as a carpenter, a joiner. <laughs> and um, so th that's uh, that's the path. <laughs> Amazing. How do you define success? Success is being all you can be 100% of the time. Never one microsecond that you're not. From the time you get up to the time you go to sleep, 100% of the time, being all you can be. And unfortunately, 98% of the guys and gals that are uh, purported um, gurus don't. They don't walk mm -hmm. their talk. They don't walk their talk. And I believe their advice would be much different if they weren't selling you something. Hmm. Yeah. To the best of my knowledge, I'm the only guy that's not selling anything. If there's somebody else, I keep, you know, tell me who it is, but uh, I'm the only guy. And uh, I'm the only guy that made a bunch of money mm -hmm. who is now coaching. The money that 99% of the kids have made, have, they've made selling you shit. <laughs> putting seats on, uh, asses on seminar seats and selling you their books. Mm -hmm. I'm, that's not how I made any money. Um, <laughs> how important is money to you? Well, I mean, I, I tell people after 250 or so million, it doesn't make any difference. Oh, so that's a threshold of money? No, no, looking back. <laughs> okay. I've lost two or 300 million too. So, I mean, <laughs> looking back, you know, my life hasn't changed. I've been through the boats. I've been through the planes. Uh, you know, uh, at one time I had... Uh, Five houses, three penthouses. I mean, I've been through all that. That's they're headaches because you know, or the butler stole this, or the this did this, and the, yeah, you know, it's a pain in the ass. So the only home we have now is Guthrie, Guthrie Castle, and uh, the uh, which I said last night. I think every day, some at least two or three things break. Mm -hmm. When something's <laughs> five hundred years old, I mean, shit breaks, you know. And uh, I know how much it would cost to redo this room. Why? Because I've, I've, we've done 60, 70 rooms that don't look dissimilar to this room, <laughs> and I know exactly what it costs, you know? Yeah. And uh, I know dry rot, wet rot, rising damp. I know what all these things are mm. because we've had them in the old girl, you know, over the years. And um, it's, you know, and the pipes uh, burst, and uh, we didn't even know that we were <clears throat> on a natural, well-driven water supply when we bought the place. We thought we had running water from uh, Angus Power or something. Um, no. I, we, we had no gas supply. I had to lay my own gas lines. I had to lay my own water lines. And we thought that our refuge was on uh, a system. Our refuge, our shit at that castle for 500 plus years went right into the Lunin, Lunin the uh, little uh, burden. And so the people for 500 years have been drinking our shit. <laughs> And then we, we, we brought in some engineers, big secret, brought in engineers to do tests. It stayed secret two hours. They dropped this special ink or dye or in it and tested the water all the way to the, um, the, um, the North Sea. Yeah. Every quarter of a mile, our shit. <laughs> Every quarter of a mile. And then they were up in arms. Like we built it. But when, it, when uh, uh, Sir John Guthrie was there, apparently his shit didn't smell because, you know, they thought it was fine to be drinking it every day. <laughs> uh, well, this is just a, a, a purely for my own curiosity. 
you could live anywhere on the planet. Correct. Why do you live in Scotland? Because um, when I first retired, I thought I was retiring for, for good in the middle 80s. And um, I wanted to be near the home of golf, oh. St. Andrews. All right. Okay. I was a fanatic in those days, golfer. And when I retired, I only stayed retired about 20 or some months. Uh, I used to play during the summer, mm-hmm. 72 holes of golf a day. Mm-hmm. I'd get there with my caddy, Johnny. I had a permanent caddy, uh, both at Car- uh, Carnoustie and St. Andrews. And uh, when the first light, about quarter to four, I'd be teeing it up. And when the first light went down, about 11, 20, 11, and I played as much as 72 holes of golf in a day. Wow. But I used to play 36 almost every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, um, I was a, a fanatic. And, but then the, 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 the fellow I left to run the business passed away early, young at 40. And uh, so I was brought back in to run it. And then I ran it for several years until the shareholders threw me out. <laughs> until the shareholders threw me out. <laughs> but that's why Scotland. And then I built my own golf course yeah. 20 years ago because I got, you know, when I tell people I got tired of playing St. Andrews, they, they don't believe me. But it's really not that tough a course. If there's no wind, if there's nay wind, it's an easy stroll. It really I played is. it twice. I can, I can yeah. attest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Focus on the few, not the many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the second best, don't waste time on things you can't change. Do you have in-laws? Uh, yes. Okay. You're never going to change them. <laughs> I'm not going to change my own parents either, okay, I guess. Okay. Well, well. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I tell, uh, I'm a Catholic, and uh, I say, uh, I'm never going to change a Catholic church. That's not going to happen. I've seen some changes in it, but I mean, um, and I like, you know, I, I like strict religion. I don't want to give you your choices. I don't believe in that shit. But anyway, I like strict religion. I like pre-Vatican, Vatican II, 1965. I like the Catholics before 1965, okay, when they were hard-ass. Now, I'm not talking about sexual abuse and all that stuff. Mm. I never saw any of that. I saw physical abuse when they beat us, but I I didn't see any other stuff. But uh, I'm not saying it wasn't there, Mm -hmm. but we, uh, one of the sister of the Holy Family nuns came from uh, Rome a couple years ago to spend time with Sally and I because we support a couple of their, uh, one in Sri Lanka, one in the Philippines. And she says that uh, if we weren't the religion, we wouldn't have lasted 2,000 years. Hmm. I said, yes, sister, I understand that. But the young nuns don't even know that they used to beat you. Because during the young nun, you give a nun a half of that much red wine and they all get all giddy. And I'm saying, you know, back in you know, Sister So-and-So's time, they used to beat us. No, no, no. We hear those rumors, but not true. These are nuns 25, 24, 20, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then I bring the old, old lady in her 80s. Would you tell uh, these two young girls how it used to be back in the day? Seriousness, she says, yes. But uh, we learned from our mistakes. We learned. Just tell them, that, tell them did, is it what I'm saying that my age kids got beat by nuns? Yes or no? Yes. I said, sisters, you've now got some bit of information you didn't learn in the convent. But beatings like that did happen. Beatings like that did happen. But I liked, I liked the beatings. I deserved the beatings. I deserved a thousand more beatings than I got. 
because I was always pushing the edge of the envelope, mm -hmm. always trying to get a little bit more, a little bit more. And um, so, uh, and so, but now you talk like that and, you know, they think you're uh, another Hitler or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll ask you about your twenty year old self looking back, but this is an interesting one that I kind of came across recently. What would your five year old self think of you now? Your five year old? If you were if you were you know you as a five year old, what would that child think of Dan Pena, the the article now? Okay, if I had been raised by the article, he'd think nothing. Okay. If he's brand new, neophyte, yeah. okay, yeah. somebody else is five-year-old. They think that I'm uh, a Neanderthal Godzilla. <laughs> Do you think you would have thought that when you were five? Yeah, because five years old, I was still, you know, I, I, was, um, I was attached to my mother's hip. Mm. Uh, the, you know, um, I really, it was a very loving, nurturing kind of thing. Um, but... Um, I would have thought my, my, myself, mm -hmm. just as my kids at five thought their grandfather was hard-ass. Uh, when we went, again, the two-day funeral, we're there with two guys I've known over 50 years each, okay? And um, their kids and their uh, grandkids. And so uh, one of the, uh, the same, one of the kids is the guy that asked me if I was a $50 billion man. He's the, he's the grandson of one of my buddies. And they said, um, they were talking about my dad. And he, my dad has been dead six, seven years, but he knew these kids when they were uh, 8, 10, 12, 15. And they were, used to say, we'd be afraid to come to Dan's house if we weren't dressed properly. Hmm. We'd call before to see if the old man, meaning my father, was in town. Hmm. And if he was, then we'd put on the appropriate clothes. So my dad, I mean, he was a rough fucker. And he didn't care that your parents had no standards. Hmm. And he carried a gun. And if you look in Google my dad, he killed between 8 and 23 people for the CIA, allegedly. Hmm. He was supposedly tied to the assassination of Che Guevara, Martin Luther King, Bob Kennedy, President Kennedy. They brought my father out of retirement to head up the government investigation for the Robert Kennedy assassination by Sirhan Sirhan. Theory, they brought a spook out of retirement to cover up the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Who better to cover it up than a guy that's been involved in other assassinations? So this is when, when, when they said, and his, his dad carried a gun. Hmm. I mean, he was a rough fucker. I mean, when, you know, when he said, when the neighbor uh, across the street, you know, was beating his wife, and my father would go over there and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my gun in your mouth and blow your fucking brains out if you touch her again. They believed him. Mm -hmm. They believed him. So that's what I saw. Well, fuck. Yeah. So when I say I'm going to fuck you up, kids, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> but I mean, growing up in that environment, those are kind of big, 
boots to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, I never uh, filled them athletically, that kind of stuff. Uh, and people say, uh, another theory mm-hmm. uh, is that I'm, I push so hard to be su- uh, successful in an arena my dad wasn't. Business. Okay. Business. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that I tend to agree with. I tend to agree with because I, I, I was doing something my dad never attempted. Mm-hmm. When he came to Guthrie Castle, and he uh, first time, the only time actually, and he walked through the, the, the main door into the main hall, through the uh, library into the drawing room, and, he, and I had my arm around him like this. He looks up at me and he says, just tell me it's not drugs. Because the only thing he could equate, that <laughs> kind of money, that kind of wealth, overnight, literally, mm-hmm. overnight, I mean, uh, was um, uh, drug money. I said, no, it's not drugs, Dad. It's kind of like drugs. It's oil. It's all, but I'm not drinking it, Dad. <laughs> but the world needs it. Did, did your dad think that you were successful? Was he proud? Oh, yeah, he, he saw. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he saw. But unlike most parents, he didn't want to live vicariously, like I, I made the uh, comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I've gotten various awards, they ask him, Mr. Pena, aren't you very proud? But he said, yes. But my son is, is uh, super successful, not because of me, but in spite of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, whereas most parents... You know, the kids in that audience last night and all the schools when I say that. And then I say the next thing. If your parents are living vicariously through you, sorry, cunts. <laughs> what does that say about them? How miserable are they? Mm-hmm. And all the kids can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, you know, the parents don't do, you know. I believe the most important reason we were put on the planet was to procreate and for homo sapien extend so when i say we're past it that's that's hard for me to say but i believe it okay the the most important thing we're put on the planet to do we fucked up <laughs> raising the kids mm-hmm. so we, how, so how do we evolve from where we are rather than we don't deep? it's over <sighs> it's fucking over kid uh kid <laughs> it's over uh. it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen we're we're, we're way past the, uh, the the cuss, the precipice, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. It's like in American baseball. We're in the ninth inning, two outs, bases loaded, three two strikes. Now, whether that lasts 50, 100, 300, I don't know, years. Because, I mean, the Romans lasted about 1,000 years. I mean, the uh, as we know it, uh, well, in the United States, we're only two 300 years old. Uh, now, parts of Europe, etc. You know, when the castle was built before Columbus, you know, came to the Americas, and uh, some days she feels like that too. And when you when you hear the noises, are you are you are you saying something, Sally? We're in bed. No, I thought it was you. I'll go up and check. She says, No, no, just stay here. When I've been there alone during construction, reconstruction. We've renovated the place seven or eight times. I'm a tough, I'm not afraid of it. Just pull those blankets up over my head, <laughs> you know? Because, I mean, we have two ghosts since the, the Bishop of St. Andrews memorialized it in his, uh, uh, his uh, mass in 1629. It's the first time anybody wrote about him. 1629. Well, you can appreciate that. You're Scottish. Mm-hmm. Sir, Sir uh, Julian Guthrie, whatever the guy was then, they get drunked up. There's a reason why you don't wear underwear under your kilt, right? Okay, got drunked up. I says, oh, 
So seven or eight of his mates raped his wife for the sport of it. You know? She went up to the tower, threw herself off and killed herself. That's ghost number one. A hundred years, 80 years later, whenever it was, they got a Jamaican slave there. Same thing. Drunk up. This time 15 or 18 raped her. She went up to, the, and they had already known about the story from the first one. She went up, killed herself. Now there's supposedly dozens of these. But we only got two ghosts. I thought. About a year ago, we have a clairvoyant. Some of the top psychics on the planet are mentees of mine. And she said, um, uh, she slept in the library the last night. She said, I can't, I mean, there's too much commotion here, Dan. And then he says, there's some ghosts that are over by the cemetery that, you know, have been locked there for three, four hundred years. Now we have, here's Guthrie Castle like this. And the town of Guthrie is here, about 50 houses. And then the cemetery and church is over here. And she says, no, not that cemetery. The cemetery that you've got on the estate. Now, I know about that. Nobody else knows. And there's little teeny headstones like this. We've told our children growing up, those are animal headstones. We know they're not. Hmm. They're baby headstones. Jesus. That the Laird of Guthrie supposedly banging all the servants and then buried them there. And so the minister, he, I, went, I said, I want you to bless these rooms. And this. What about the cemetery? Even I know about that one. So we went over there and little, you know, headstones. Uh, Julie. Now, you don't name many dogs Julie, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Albert. You know, we have all these little headstones, these poor little things. So he blesses it, you know. And uh, then he said, and then he told us about a couple other places on the estate where supposedly the ghosts are. And so, um, but I've only seen one experience. I had one experience with a ghost. It was the black nanny. Uh, she wears a red habit with a big key chain thing around her, her waist. And she was floating uh, by my office near the staircase where my office is. And uh, I saw her out of the, you know, like you see something out of the corner of your eye and you look. But we've had people there, bigger than you, in some of the bedrooms, they couldn't get out of bed and they've screamed for help. We had a guy go into convulsions at the table, dinner table, where he was thrown out of his chair and his eyes go back in his head and is speaking tongues, you know. Um, we've had 20, 25 different incidences. Um, but normally, the ghosts have never hurt anybody. Um, but we've got a new guy, a great Gatsby kind of guy running around. I don't know where he came from. <laughs> but some of the, uh, some of the, uh, the participants in the, in the uh, seminar have seen this great Gatsby guy from the 1920s, 30s. But they used to use, rumor has it, in the 60s, when the oil boom first hit the North Sea, they used Guthrie Castle to raise money because the Guthries were already running out of money as a brothel. Okay. As a brothel. But the Guthries have, uh, have pissed away all their money, unfortunately. That's how I got it. That's how I got it. Gee, I, but, uh, you get drunk <laughs> up and you rape 15, 20 of your best mates, rape your wife. Sounds like a Scottish party. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, Dan. Yeah, well, I'm I really mean, not. I'm yeah. really not. Jesus. That's Braveheart kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. I, I, the last thing I expected that we would be talking about is ghosts, but how, how, do, you, how do you think of ghosts? How do you explain it to yourself? If I believe in that, mm -hmm. 
then I can believe that spirits get trapped. Mm -hmm. Because that I, I believe on faith. Okay. Okay. And uh, the, um, but so, I mean, we're all energy. Mm -hmm. And when we die, you know, the energy goes off into different things. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of that energy doesn't get captured or it's unhappy or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but I mean, it hasn't, my children growing up will swear to you, if they were sitting here with us, they used to play with the ghosts. Gee. There was a special place under the main staircase, which like a, it's like a closet that's opens like this. They used to go in there and then they go and they will swear to it that they did when they were three, four, five, six years old. Yeah. Wow. And our little daughter would, well, not little, she's 31 years old. Daddy, daddy, uh, the nanny, the, the black nanny, she's not happy. They, and the ghosts seem to appear um, when we're uh, renovating things. And it's a listed building. You can't just knock walls down and shit, you know. You, you, you. Mm -hmm. But when we're renovating, um, we've had plumbers run out of um, the castle, leaving their tools and never come back. Never come back. <laughs> they say, can you mail us a to our tool set? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So, so what do you expect will happen when you pass? Well, I, I want to haunt the place. Right. <laughs> I want to hunt. You know, I, I, I want to, you know, uh, because I'm not passing the baton, QLA baton off to anybody. That's why I do so many YouTube stuff, because mm -hmm. I wanted to be there for, for time eternal. And uh, the, um, the um, so, I, you know, I want to, uh, nobody's going to be giving seminars anymore, you know, when I'm gone. Uh, <laughs> I don't expect them to. Uh, the, uh, it's not likely, uh, although my, you know, my, my, our children are millennials, but why aren't our kids fucked up? I mean, why, I mean, why, why do they have work ethic? Why are they extremely successful? Why? I mean, I told both the, uh, my, my youngest boy and my uh, daughter be the first to the building and last to leave. Hmm. My daughter said, that's the maintenance guys. You're not listening to me. Be the first to the fucking building and last to leave. And uh, they were both in marketing sales to begin their careers and make 300 cold calls a day. She was first to there and last to leave. And the chairman, well, who's that light? Who is that? The president, the managing, who is that person there? 300 phone calls. They both led the nation in sales. And when, uh, uh, when I talked to her over Thanksgiving, uh, where are you going to over Thanksgiving? Oh, uh, I was going to go see her brother, but it's 18 hour, uh, nine hour drive each way. And I've got, uh, and I, you know, I've got to have this stuff done. So I'm going to work through Thanksgiving and, uh, so I can have it on uh, my boss's desk on Monday morning. They see, cause they saw me. Yeah. You don't, kids don't do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you do. <laughs> and mm. if your, your parents are telling you some shit and, and they're not doing it, then, you know, you, you don't believe. Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. 
what I explained last night, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. You know, they're saying this, but they're doing this. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, it's extremely important to, uh, to set uh, good examples. Mm-hmm. You know, now, to say, are they harsh examples? In my case, yes. <laughs> In my case, yes. But see, I didn't want my kids to love me. That's not even on my agenda. I want my kids 20 years after I'm dead to respect me. And that's how I've raised them since they're three, four, five, six years old. Hmm. I don't need their love. I don't need anybody's love. My love for myself makes anybody else's love transitory in comparison. And that's self-esteem. Rightly or wrongly, Hitler loved himself. He's a high-performance guy, was. You know, I'm not saying, I don't agree with anything he did, Mm -hmm. but he was a high-performance person. Stalin was a high-performance person. Mm -hmm. Attila the Hun was a high-performance person. Genghis Khan, who supposedly killed more than all of them put together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And none of these guys were snowflakes. Yeah, that's for sure. How did you learn to love yourself? My parents did something right. Yeah. <laughs> yep, they did something right. Uh, they did a lot of things right. But I mean, the book, if you've got kids that are less than seven, eight years old, there's a book by uh, John, Dr. Jonas uh, Spock mm-hmm. uh, on child rearing. It was written in 1946 quite by serendipity, my mother picked it up and raised me. And, and, uh, and uh, Josh Kim, my teenage phenom, mm-hmm. his mother had the same book. Hmm. It's the second most purchased book behind the Bible in the world. <laughs> but it's only sold 55 or 60 million copies. That's a lot of books, though. Mm. But since 46, but yeah. we've got seven, you know, what do we have? Two and a half, three billion parents on the planet. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. But I mean, it, there's a lot of things. The thing that's the most outstanding in the book is never tell your children no. Don't use the word no. Mm. And there's no such thing as constructive criticism. There's only criticism. And uh, the um, and, and my and my mom lived by it. I didn't know that, but I mean, um, and to lead by example, your kids do what you they see you do, not mm-hmm. what you tell them to do. Yeah. And if you're doing drugs, don't go to work. Come home early. Go to work late. <laughs> what what the hell do you think resonates with the kid? Mm-hmm. All those same bad habits. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if they see you exercise, they do this, that, and the other thing, mm-hmm. it all resonates. What the kids lack in today's world is leadership. And the reason why my demographics are now 15 to 35 is because, you know, partially because the alpha male part, dad, they never had, but because they want leadership. They want somebody to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. Contrary to what all the popular free choice, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's not for everybody. That's you know, true. there's only so many Olympic athletes. There's only so many people that get a gold medal. Mm-hmm. There's only so many, you know, there's only so many. 
but um, the um, it's possible. It's still possible. Very possible. Mm-hmm. I've got one final question for you, sure. Dan. Um, and it's it's a big question. <laughs> if you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? In the world or me? In the world. Well, if I had, uh, I, I wish love worked. <laughs> it's simple. It doesn't. Love doesn't get the fucking job done. Since Cain and fucking Abel, it hasn't gotten the job done. Hmm. Since before that, it hasn't gotten the job done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, it's, too many religions to count that try to believe, try to teach you that it does get the job done. Uh, the um, but it just doesn't, you know. It, if I had one thing, that'd be it. I wish love worked, um, but it doesn't. It just doesn't. And the, you know, the older I get, uh, the more I realize it. The more I realize it. And um, the, we've had, you know, various people from time to time through the centuries uh, that uh, came up with a new twist on love gets the job done. Uh, but, uh, you know, all of they had followings, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't get the job done because the world is, you know, the world um, should be teaching artificial intelligence that love gets the job done. And if you look at the big agendas and big data, that word doesn't even come up. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't come up because it's tough to build an uh, economic recurring model on love. <laughs> yeah. The closest we have is our religions. Mm-hmm. But, um, so that's what I'd change. But since I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried of that happening, so, so for as long as I'm uh, continue to uh, coach uh, high performance kids, uh, and I, I'm just getting ready to put out a, a letter um, for the new year, 2018. And my messages aren't goodwill and hope and that kind of horseshit. No, no. Please don't bother me. Don't bother my staff. Unlink me. Unlike me. Uh, you know, whatever. Fuck off. Leave me alone unless you're willing to pay the pay, pay price to action, and it's all free on my site. Mm-hmm. There's a little less than a 1,000 pages. We have some people that come to my site 200 times a month. We have a bunch of them, because the Google Analytics shows you. Yeah. We probably have um, a 1,000 people, close to a 1,000, that come to the site 200 times a month. What are they looking for? No, they because... They're memorizing, they're whatever, because we have all kinds of tests. Uh, there's a success, success test on the site. Mm-hmm. It's only got a 95% accuracy, 95. It's really 99%, but because of legal reasons, we, we backed it off to 95. <laughs> but if, if, if you don't score right on that test, you know, like I showed you the gun last night, yeah. you don't have a chance. You just don't, and um, and some some people take that test, have taken it in excess of five hundred times, and the scores don't get any better. There's only sixteen questions. I've done it. It, it was a while ago that I did it, but yeah, I've done okay. It. Well, believe me, yeah. sixteen questions, <laughs> and because their DNA just can't, 
They can't answer the questions correctly. Hmm. The first time I took the test, I got a perfect score. <laughs> I got it from Boston uh, uh, University. Two psychiatrists wrote it 20 plus years ago. At the last seminar, we had one perfect score. At the seminar, all this year, we've only had two perfect, I mean, for the seminar attendees, mm -hmm. we've had two perfect scores. The, uh, two. Uh, and uh, it has a, a scale. If you're at one end of the scale, you're fu really fucked up. <laughs> and, um, but we've got, we, we've got now um, uh, a new, um, I told you about the snowflake test. It's there. Yeah. And the results are just overwhelmingly sad. Mm. I mean, just stunningly sad. <laughs> Unfortunately, just validated what my thoughts were. But mm -hmm. I don't need validation that the world's fucked up. But that, that test it, says it. But we're coming up with a new thing uh, in the next few weeks for the new year. Uh, QLA for dummies. I mean, it's down to the simple. It's like um, Pavlov's dog. We're training a puppy mm. not to shit on the floor. <laughs> so, you know, potty train. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It is, I mean, we've, we've refined this thing 15, 16, 17 times down to the simplest one, one cell amoeba <laughs> shit. I mean, uh, uh, below Cro-Magnum. I mean, <laughs> one, one cell amoeba. And so I already know what the results are going to be. I just know because I talk to the kids all the time and I, I just know it's just going to validate when I say we're past it. We are fucking past it. Okay. But um, it's going to be cute. It'll be, it'll, and I'm not selling it. It's for free, hmm. you know. Um, but I mean, this is one, is an amoeba one cell or two? Anyway, whatever one cell is, cell. Yeah, yeah. okay, that's what it is. <laughs> okay, and but I already know what the answers are going to be. Mm -hmm. And you know why? Because I realize that ninety-nine percent of the world has no self-esteem. Mm -hmm. hmm. You're very pessimistic on humanity, Dan. Well, I'm twice as old as you are, mm -hmm. and uh, the. Uh, I'm brutally truthful. I'm a realist. <laughs> and my eyes have seen shit you haven't seen. Mm -hmm. That guy that beats himself, you know, the, uh, remember the... Yeah, yeah. That's not bullshit. Yeah. Most of the people that watch us are ashamed to be alive. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know that you're talking about a guy who... Uh, has lashed or no, had somebody... He has somebody else lash, lash, lash him a hundred times, times a month. Yeah. So blood and his, uh, his back's all carved up. Yeah. Because, you know, and he says he, and he, we've got another guy from Ethiopia um, who, uh, I'm not saying he's going to do something awful to his kid, but I would rather not, rather not have my kid around if he turns out that way. Hmm. I'm not saying he's going to do anything, hmm. but those are strong, ugly comments that come from a father. Mm. About his only son. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I had no, you know, I, I guess I did have a choice. But I, I told you, you know, I never did drugs. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell the seminar, though, that I, I never did so. drugs. Why didn't you ever do drugs then? In the 60s. 
the drugs were, I mean, rampant. Mm. Overseas, the Vietnam drugs were just there. And I said, because my, when I was about 14, 13, my dad sat me down in the living room in a, in a, in a straight back chair, sat me down, went into his uh, cupboard, pulled out his uh, 8-inch 38 Smith & Wesson revolver, uh, loaded it, spun the, the uh, chamber thing, and then put it up to my head, cocked like this. It was this side, I still remember. I still remember looking out of the corner of my eye and seeing the bullets in the chamber. Jesus. And he said, I think we're going to have a talk about drugs. The only cure for a motherfucking drug addict is a motherfucking bullet in your motherfucking head. And my mother's about there where the cameras are, screaming, Manny, Manny, you might pull the trigger by accident. Now, this is a professional hit guy, mm -hmm. so he's not going to pull it by accident. Uh, and so uh, he says, well, I want him to know I'm serious. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, it was clear to me my path to stay away from drugs. Because <laughs> I knew my dad would. Without even hesitating, he would. Jeez. He thought the world was going to shit in the 50s. Hmm. When he saw his first, um, what they used to call him, uh, feminine napkin, Tampax. Tampax? Mm -hmm. First Tampax uh, commercial on television. He said, what in the hell? They're advertising that on television? Okay. <laughs> Fast forward 20 years. The first commercial, or 30 years, first commercial where they actually show how to put a tampon in. I call him on the phone. Dad, Dad, you got to get on ABC right now. Oh, Dad, get on ABC. He got on ABC. And he said, what the fuck was that I just saw? Because he only saw the tail end of it. <laughs> I said, Dad, they're showing women how to put that thing in. Jesus Christ! I told you. When was it, son? I told you a long time ago the world is just fucked. Why would anybody want to... It's a good question. Why? <laughs> Who gives a sh... I mean, ladies, with the greatest respect. I mean, why? Yeah. <laughs> but he thought, you know, that the world was... It was over. It was over. And so now fast forward 50 years, more or less. And, um, the, um, and now we got Bitcoin. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, I hope I'm wrong about Bitcoin. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. But I mean, some of the smartest guys on the planet. That doesn't mean we're right, just because we all true. agree on this. Sorry, true. Okay. But it reminds me of tulip bulbs. In Holland, in the 1533 to 1537, mm -hmm. tulip bulbs. That's what it reminds me of. It also reminds me of the dot com. Mm -hmm. Dot com. So it's, it has precedence. Mm -hmm. And now we have podcasters like the tulip bulbs. There's one on every street corner. Oh, this is a nice, very nice environment. Yeah, yeah. It's very relaxing. It's much nicer than the London real one, believe me. <laughs> oh, I've often wondered that, actually. What's, uh, what's the environment like at, at Brian's place? Uh, it's very um, engineerish. You know, <laughs> everything's straight lines, the furniture, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's very straight line. Um, 
This is more your style. Yeah, well, this reminds me of, uh, of Guthrie. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of rooms that look like this. <laughs> I'm expecting the dry rot and the, you know. Oh, no. No, no. Well, and the ceiling's not, but most of the big homes in Scotland, mm -hmm. um, I mean, big, big homes, the ceiling's falling in, the wallpaper, yeah. they can't maintain it. Mm -hmm. I mean, bursted pipes. <laughs> okay, Dan. Okay. On that note, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for you're very welcome for coming very on the welcome. show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with yeah, you. Yeah, well, you're mm -hmm. very welcome. Uh, if you could just let my office know when you're going to, of course, go live or whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. And um, I, I wish you luck on your endeavor. Thank you very much. And that you uh, figure out how to monetize <laughs> to make a living. Yeah. Uh, unless you're, you're independently wealthy, uh, <laughs> that uh, sometime you're going to have to make money on doing this. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm not quite at your level yet, but... Uh, no, no, no. And, we'll uh, hopefully get there. Yeah, well, you will. Okay, thank you. Whoops. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you very much. It's been I a pleasure. It. I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> Good. Okay. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show, and we'll see you at the next episode.